Hello, everybody. This is Gary Kay, and you're listening to my Rancid Raves podcast. This is a post-Infocom podcast. I'm excited to be joined with Paul Harris, CEO of Aurora Multimedia. Paul, how are you? How are you doing? Uh, thanks once again for having me. Well, thanks for being on. Look, we, we went to your booth this year and shot a record number of videos for, for your booth. We shot seven videos because you had a lot of new stuff uh, this year, and um, I heard a rumor that uh, you guys collected uh, nearly a record number of leads. Uh, yeah, we did uh, not our, our total record because we did it a little differently this year to just validate more. But yeah, we did over uh, 2,300 leads this year, uh, got a good crowd flow through and uh, we were busy right down to the last day of the show. We had people constantly in our booth. Well, if you look at the link uh, of the description of this podcast, I linked uh, so that you can quickly go watch all seven of those videos back to back. And I want to ask you a specific question because you're one of the few companies out there that has both one gig and 10 gig AV over IP for 4K and, and below video. So pretty much any video you want to send over the network. And that was the big thing at the show. Everyone was talking about AV over IP. We, can, we knew that that would be the case because of ISC and, and how that market has developed so quickly. But let me ask you, if the people that came into your booth that you engaged with, what percentage are interested in one gig versus 10 gig or is it a combination where you really can't tell yet and they just want to get educated? Uh, you know, it, it, pretty much that. It's, it's hard to say because people don't really know what they want yet. They're still getting acclimated and right now they're getting a lot of noise. And what I mean by noise is there's a lot of manufacturers out there telling they're the best for this reason or that reason. Um, and they don't know really what to believe, what not to believe. And they're still trying to figure out for themselves what is it and where is this industry really going? And so a lot of it was more of us explaining how the application really uh, determines what you actually need. And so that, that's really the important message that I think all manufacturers should be saying out there is not just you know, causing market confusion, but just educating them on when things truly apply and when it's needed. So that's, that's a lot of what we were doing there was explaining what are they, the first question would be, what are you trying to do? this is what you want to use because that's what you're trying to do. And if it was something we couldn't even do, then we'd actually point them in the direction of another manufacturer that we knew could do it, or we'd just say, sorry, we couldn't do it. And, you know, in a related note, congratulations on, uh, you're now the, I guess, president of the, um, the HD base D Alliance. Uh, no, I think Ariel would have uh, exception to that one. Okay, if what is exactly that, that you are? <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm the chairman of the AV uh, work, uh, work group, which okay. is the work group that determines the standards going forward for HD base T for uh, anything from just HD base T itself to the upcoming HD base T IP, which yes, is coming. Um, so the, for the non-believers out there, it is in progress. It is happening. And we're working on developing the standards for it as well as the uh, silicon for it. Uh, what people don't realize is the real battle hasn't even started. Uh, right now, all that people are seeing are little uh, uprisings here and there with everybody, like I said, just saying why they're the best, but they really don't fully understand or appreciate what's about to go down. The, the real war is going to start in about, I'd say, two to three years from now is when it's really going to start to get interesting. And that's because of the, the fact that there's going to be more standards out there? Or what, what are you saying is going to happen two or three years from now? Just, well, just, the, just the, the scale of the switch from traditional to AV over IP or what's going to be the effect? Well, I think what's happening is people, are, as they continue to get educated, are going to realize what they truly need. 
uh, and they're going to get through the nonsense. Uh, but as it happens, what people are going to learn overall is that 10, 100, 1 gig, 10 gig, 40 gig, 100 gig, they're all necessary in their own way. So uh, if you're going to record, you're not going to do a 10 gig or a 1 gig for that matter. You're going to do an H.265. Okay, so it's a necessity, it's needed. You go halfway around the world, HT65. You're going to do a local infrastructure, low cost. You're below the, uh, the 10 gig bandwidth, uh, the 4K60, 420s, or the 444s. You're going to do a 1 gig. Then when you get into the higher range where you want more perfection, higher bandwidths, now you're in the 10 gig range. You go into 8K, you might want to be in the 40 gig range or hopefully someone does more of a 20 gig range, which is actually somewhat coming. That's a whole other element that plays into here that people don't even fully appreciate or realize. So this is going to take form in a lot of different ways. Um, but for the typical corporate conference rooms where a lot of people use a lot of the HD-based T products, um, you're going to find that... Um, uh, 10 gig is going to be the way to go. It's the only way to future-proof as of right now. One gig is not the way to future-proof. Uh, 10 gig really is the way to do that because you can, you can realistically get into 8K or 4K 120 if you're doing virtual reality uh, with the HDMI 2.1 standard. One gig's not going to handle that very well at all. Um, so 10 gig is going to be the way to go. So, the, so let, me, let me stop you there yeah. and just make sure I understand because um, you know, so you have H.264, you have one gig and 10 gig stuff. And obviously with the HD uh, base TIP solutions that are coming, you'll also have other standards out there. So you're kind of in a unique position to kind of guide the consumer because you're right. There are companies that just make one or the other or that are just streaming as in H.264, 265 or one gig or 10 gig. So you do make all the different solutions that are out there. And, and, and I think that one of the problems is that there isn't a lot of clarity among the customer as to which one to use when. Um, and, and I've been telling them that they need to do demos and side-by-sides and as much education as possible so that they're not, the integrator's not exclusively responsible for the decision the customer makes. The, the customer almost has to make the, the trade-off decisions themselves so they don't come back a year or two later and say, why didn't you sell me 10 gig? And they got a system that's one gig. Because as you said, there are limitations. Like there's every single one is a trade-off of some type, right? Um, and, and even though not a lot of people are doing 8K right now, you have to at least think about that because you do have a few manufacturers, Sharp is an example of that, and Infocom, two oh, 8K products. Yeah, it's not even just the 8K. People have to think about 4K 120. Now, some people might say, well, what do I care about 120 hertz at 4K? I mean, I can get away with even 30 hertz and, and people won't notice a difference. But virtual reality, I mean, I have an Oculus. That thing's pretty damn cool. It also happens to get me a little motion sickness as well. People don't realize those, those virtual reality goggles, they can actually make you sick. Uh, kids get away with it a little bit more because of the way their eyes are, are more flexible and, more, and they're, they're, they still got a wider range of viewing and they're more immune to that. But the typical adult, I mean, I, I do see the day come at some point where when a person can't make it to a trade show, they're going to throw on a pair of a, of a virtual reality goggle and they're going to take a virtual tour to make them really get that experience that you're just not going to get from a web browser. And they're going to pick up product, 3D, flip it around, just like you do in any 3D game right now. And the, for, while the Oculus, as an example, is a, for its time frame right now, it's phenomenal and it's only going to continue to get better, whether it's them or Samsung or somebody else. But um, you need the higher refresh rates. They're going to solve some of the motion issues 
uh, the stuttering is sometimes what makes people a little nauseous when they're looking through it. Um, and so you got to start taking seriously not just the higher resolutions, but the higher refresh rates. Okay. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. So in your, I mean, I, I'm going to go back to the same question I asked in the beginning. Are, how do you tell people what to use? Like when do you tell them to use 10 gig versus one gig versus 264, I think is easy. Okay, if you're not doing yeah. live and you're not, if you're not doing live over the internet, right? Or if you're just doing live over the internet through, you know, Facebook Live or something like that, or you're just recording at 264 or 265 is a way to go. But if you're doing anything that's sort of live, meaning you're presenting in a classroom, training room, boardroom, meeting room, then you have a choice between one gig and 10 gig. How do you tell them which one to which choose? So if you're a university and you're doing an entire school at a university, how do you tell them what to choose? Okay, so the way I do it is a combination of expectations and applications. And that's really the magic formula there. So for example, some applications are easy right off the bat. You're doing medical, virtual reality, uh, or broadcast, you want 10 gig, end of story. Uh, you got the zero frame latency, and we're not talking playing games with numbers like some other companies do. You're talking 100 microseconds, okay? That's as zero late frame latency as you're going to get. Um, you're doing, uh, you're talking about not playing games with compression or wondering if motion's going to add an anomaly. 10 gigs are no brainer in those applications. Uh, if you're going to do 4K 6444 or have an expectation for future proofing, you might as well put in a 10 gig infrastructure. The pricing is not that high. I just sold the system to somebody. It was, uh, an 80 port switch for like a little over $11,000 for a 10 gig with PoE. Um, they're not that expensive. You get now, I go online, I could buy a Netgear 16-port uh, switch for about $1,300. Um, so 10 gig is really not as expensive as people think. So in that case, I could just immediately push people right into the 10 gig just from those applications and those needs and requirements and expectations. Then you get into the 1 gig. Well, if I'm doing a restaurant chain, digital signage, uh, you know, bar, uh, K through 12, where they're, they're not even, they're, not, they're barely doing 720p, let alone 1080p. Uh, Low-cost conference rooms, one gig is the way to go. Nothing wrong with it. And if they know they're not going to upgrade their equipment for 10 years, they could care less about 8K or, or even 4K 6444 for that matter. Because most people, they, they might not even care about it. I mean, for most people, when they're using it in conference rooms, they're not showing fast-moving videos going across the screen. So 30 hertz will do the job just fine. So um, in those instances, the one gig is a lot less money, um, very low cost, low power, no fans, small, totally 100% the way to go. I wouldn't even recommend anything other than that in those type of applications. Um, but that's how I usually delineate it, is between those two applications and, and expectations. Okay, and, and one other thing I want to mention before we go is um, at Infocom, you talked about this before Infocom, but you launched the React's uh, control engine, you know, JavaScript-based uh, open source, I guess you'd call it, uh, control um, yeah. control or engine. I'm not sure exactly what you're calling it. Um, and uh, you, um, how did that go? Tell me how it went. Oh, it went fantastic. By, by the way, before I jump into the React's, I, I do want to point out one quick thing about the 10 gig, uh, if you don't mind. Yeah. Uh, and this will help people with their decision-making. Please don't be fooled by those nonsensical uh, tests that some companies are doing out there trying to make it seem like 10 gig is a scary thing to use where they're throwing it across motors and lighting ballasts and stuff like that. 
if your integrator ever throws your, your wiring infrastructure across any EMI generating fields, whether it's one gig, 10 gig, or anything for that matter, you got bigger issues at that point. So I just want to throw that out there is don't be swayed like 10 gig is some scary thing. It's no different and no more complicated to set up than a one gig system. The only difference is an extra zero after the one and that's it. So I just had to throw that out there to, to round off your whole thing with the, uh, you know, how to choose between one gig and 10 gig. And I noticed there are companies out there causing market confusion and trying to scare people. To get back to your question about Reacts, Reacts is a, uh, about freedom for the industry. So what we created was a open source style control engine that is based on JavaScript from top to bottom, uh, a little bit of HTML5. Uh, we have tools that will be drag and drop that will generate the code, or you can just use your own. But the difference with this one is we're creating a separate organization called React uh, uh, Organization. And there, yes, other manufacturers, even our competitors, will be able to utilize this engine and make a, uh, other products that can complement and work in conjunction with each other. So you can even find these in uh, television sets, Blu-ray players, any type of peripheral that's out there, and it gives choice. It's no longer locked down to a proprietary mechanism where all the resources are locked down. But at the same point, it protects the integrators and the end users and the consultants from, uh, for, the end, for the integrators, it'll protect their, still their profitability. We're not just letting it go out to everyone and anyone. We're making certain it stays under strict uh, control commercially. Um, but on the other hand, though, it will allow for uh, end users to have their own understanding of, because it's JavaScript, uh, and for consultants, once again, more variety, more choice uh, in that respect. So it's a so, whole so basically, new way basically of approaching it. It's a, it's, what you're saying is that it's JavaScript-based control that's sort of, you're going to make it, in a way, open source by saying, here's, the, here's basically the language, and you can add to it, you can improve it, you can make it better, you can do whatever you want to do to it, but you don't have to have any custom programming to make devices work because it's all based on JavaScript. Correct. And this is about not just the hardware, it's about software tools. Any, anybody can make a software tool generator. Maybe one that makes the programming easier by self-generating blocks of the JavaScript on behalf of the person. Well, what if a competitor? Um, what if a competitor calls you and says, "I want to be a member of Reacts, Which, by the way, I saw that you have a website, reax.org. If a competitor calls you and says, "I want to use it," are you going to let them use it, or is this just for non-competitive companies? Uh, you know, it depends on the competitor. To be honest with you, there is a certain requirement uh, for to, to, that you have to meet. Uh, and uh, part of it is being uh, non-proprietary. So for those proprietary companies out there, highly unlikely uh, that they would be it. But other companies, I mean, I'll, I'll, you know, like whether it's an Loner or a, uh, you know, or Kramer or some other companies, yeah, they, they could very well qualify to be React. But the whole point of it is, I know some people say, well, if you're giving this technology away, aren't you potentially um, opening yourself up to losing your own sales? Yeah, actually, yes. That's one of the risks that we're doing here. But at the same point, we're trying to prove a point in the industry, which is if you make a good product and you provide good service and good value, you deserve to get the sale and you're earning the sale. That's the right way that capitalism should work. You should not have to do it by threatening, uh, holding people to, to hostage, uh, forcing them into an ecosystem with limited choices. Uh, and that is really what we're trying to prove here more than anything. So, yeah, we, we actually do welcome competitors. 
but there are rules to the game that they have to follow in order to qualify. Uh, because, as I stated, I, I do, what I don't want to do is I don't want to just throw it out there where it ruins the industry either. It is going to be under proper control to make certain that whatever manufacturer takes it on. So I'll, I'll give you an example. We're not going to just let a manufacturer who makes product for 20 other companies and slaps different silk screens on it. That's not allowed. That, that hurts the industry. It doesn't help the industry. We want legitimate manufacturers who design and develop their own products and can properly support it and will not just sell it on websites at a few points above where it hurts the integrators, where everybody and their mother can buy it for low margins. That doesn't help. And while, yeah, the end users might think they get a better price on it, they lose out on the support and the things that actually do help them that's not fully appreciated sometimes of why there does need to be margins there. So this is also going to be done in a manner where we're not looking to just sell it to everybody and anyone. We want to make certain that it's done in a manner that protects the industry and demonstrates there is a better way to do this and that you don't have to sell your soul for that quick dollar to make it a better industry. So no, we're not going after the quick dollar on this one. We're going after just trying to correct and fix the industry and making it a better industry. All right. Well, that makes sense. Uh, so, you, I mean, you said to me privately uh, that it's, you sort of like look at this like Android in that in that Google still controls the products that come out that are Android based, but it's still open source in the sense that everyone that is approved to provide Android devices can do so as long as and as long as Google says it's okay. I mean, that that's a logical analogy, I think. Uh, I you know, obviously, our in industry is not as big as that industry, but it's, yeah. it's a, it'll be very interesting to see. And of course, to find out more information about you can go to reacts.org. And of course, Aurora Multimedia, all your stuff is at auroramm.com. And as I said in the, in the description of this podcast, I'm going to put a link to all the uh, videos that we shot in your booth. I believe we shot uh, six or seven of them. So you'll see all those uh, if you click on that link. Um, Paul, thank you very much for joining me today. Yeah, thank you.